I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I was always at a, at a certain safe remove, I think, even no matter how much I might have loved a person, I was at a, some sort of safe ground, still with a foot on my own island. This is Death, Sex, and Money. This country, you've got to make the money first. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Are you thinking about sex? And need to talk about more. My relationship with death remains the same. Strongly against it. I'm Anna Sale. As an actress, Holland Taylor often plays patrician, self-assured characters who keep all the other kooks in line. A judge on Ally McBeal and The Practice. I take pride in adhering strictly to ethical obligations. An ad exec on Bosom Buddies, the mother on Two and a Half Men, a professor in Legally Blonde. The law leaves much room for interpretation, but very little for self-doubt. Her characters often don't need anyone else, and they tend to keep other people at arm's length. That's an impulse that Holland herself is trying to shake at 72 years old. I'm finally wised up to the fact that uh, I haven't got that much longer, and I would like to have a more fulsome experience of relationships in life than I have. And I'm lucky I have the opportunity to. Very lucky I have the opportunity to. Holland is known for keeping her private life private, but she agreed to meet me at her friend's apartment in Manhattan. It's a beautiful, sunny penthouse. She's staying here while her apartment gets renovated just a few floors below. You can sometimes hear the whine of a table saw waft through the windows. I mean, it's a little bit discomforting not to be in your own place, but uh, not exactly sloppy seconds. I grew up watching Holland on television. The first time I saw her on stage was in 2013 in her one-woman show, Anne. She played Anne Richards, the former governor of Texas. Let me just say, you haven't lived till you've been governor of Texas. Holland never met Anne Richards in person. She died in 2006. But Holland dug deep into her story and her mannerisms while writing the play. It earned her a Tony nomination. Now, I would just love to be able to tell you that I was fated for greatness and groomed to lead and, and, and blessed with genius. But as Richard Nixon said so many years ago, that would be wrong. But then that show ended. I've had a couple of very depressed periods. And I would say after Anne was the major one. Really? Mm-hmm. It was. It was really, I was stymied. I was just at a loss. 
for what to do with myself and my mind. And I really kind of went blank. It was a, it was, it was a very odd period. I'd, I'd almost quantify it as a breakdown. Parting from the production was uh, shocking in its sense of loss and deprivation and confusion. And I think that that was coincided with an aging spurt because I had just turned 70. I really broke down. I certainly broke down physically. I mean, I had lost, I weighed 108. I mean, I weigh, I weigh 100 and whatever, 30 now. It's so interesting because that's such a, so at odds with how I think of the story of Anne. I think of it as you created this, this play out of, out of sheer passion and mm-hmm. dug into the research, created this yes. thing on your own, performed it on yeah. your own, get a Tony nomination. That was so great. That was so great. But it all did reflect back to Anne for me. And it was a really worthy project. I haven't had an opportunity to do tons and tons of worthy things, but that was one. I wish I could share some of the letters I got from people who knew her. Uh, Molly McCool was an old friend of hers who was said life was different after Anne died for her. It was like we didn't have any fun anymore. And she came with her family, uh, five of her kids, to the show. And and it was still like, it made me cry just thinking of it because she's she wore the same glasses that Anne got. She still had her glasses from the 90s, glasses that she made Anne have. And I wear those glasses in the show briefly, the red glasses. And she was wearing those glasses and she's in my dressing room on the couch and these kids crowding around and she was laughing and telling stories and just just wreathed in smiles. And, and, and I, I was just so moved by it. I was so moved by so many things that happened with Anne that um, it was... It was just, I was bathed in emotion at all times, so in a very unreal way, very unreal way. So I, the absence of that, I think, I think I hadn't thought of it until this moment. Every day was emotional. Every day had big emotional moments that were often full of tears, but it was just profound. Were there parts of her that you enjoyed tapping into that you felt sad that weren't a part of you when you were no longer performing her? Uh, I didn't, I've never thought of it that way, but her, she was a very positive person. She was quite capable of her dark days and her unhappinesses and moods, but she had an extraordinary um, energy to participate and to be with others and to do. And her, in her doing, and in her joining, and she just was a great companion and a great, a great partaker of friendship and life and activity. And I'm had been very much a, a loner a lot of my life. I've not been a joiner. I've not. I've had always had friends, but not large groups of friends. Never done anything like traveled with people, or you know, house parties and trips together that my sisters, for instance, do constantly traveling together with friends to Europe and riverboat tours. It's just not been my way. And maybe I'm leaning more towards that now, but it's been a long life not being that way. Holland began her life far from Texas, in Philadelphia. Her father was an attorney, her mother a painter and a homemaker. Holland has two older sisters, but they were out of the house by the time she was about eight. So I was a, a child who was left to her own devices, and I didn't do that well. 
I mean, some children are fantastically inventive and in some way content enough to be peaceful in themselves enough to have their hobbies and their interests. I was much too um, agitated and distressed, I think, and could get depressed and lonely. So not, I was not very sort of successful. I had that, that life of a child who just doesn't know what to do with herself. You knew, though, that you wanted to study theater. I did. I, as a very young age, I guess I was about 12, and I was show-offy and mimicky, and, and I guess when I was amongst people, I maybe was more the life of the party because I was excited to be amongst people because I was so often not. But when she moved to New York after college to start acting, Holland felt on her own again. I don't know what the hell I was doing, putting one foot in front of the other. I had no money. I had one audition dress that I took very good care of. You know, you go from job to job. And I was not in a group. I did not have, as so many of my friends do who went to Juilliard, they have that, their class or the people that went to that school and they're constantly in touch with them all and see all, they all see each other's place and they are a, a, a sort of a free-flowing group in, in, the, in the industry. I never had that. So I would be in a happy mood and a good frame of mind when I was working and then when I wasn't and was trying to get work and was not getting work, it was not getting anything that was sustaining, it would all sort of fall apart. At what point in your acting career did you feel confident that you could support yourself as a single woman? Well, I always have. And I, I mean, it was pretty hard scrabble off and on in my first uh, 10 years or so. But I've never done anything but that. People always or often assume that I had some money or have family money, and the actually the opposite was true. I have always supported myself, and I've always had to support myself. What's the opposite of having family money? Does that mean you had to help your family? Well, I yeah, I mean, I I don't I didn't have any money because of, I didn't inherit money or have money, and I've always helped with my sisters support my mother. Holland knew that she wanted to be able to take care of herself, and she was comfortable doing it alone. That was clear from when she first started dating. My first boyfriend spoke about, from the other room, I was taking a shower, and he spoke about, maybe we should think about getting married. And I literally, this is when I was still in college, and I literally looked down at the shower floor and the drain and thought, no, no. No, it was the water swirled around the train. That's quite an evocative image. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I didn't have conscious thoughts of, well, I'm not going to do what Mother did. Yeah. But I also never thought, let's get a, make a home together. And I'm not sure of my mother's experience. My father was not a philanderer, but he was an alcoholic, and all the chaos that comes from can come from that um, life situation. That didn't marriage didn't look so swell. Hence the drain image. Yeah. And so I never in a million years thought I would marry and have a, a, and have a life like hers. It wasn't for me. How did you know? I don't know. I know that my mother's life was extremely confined by the fact that she was married. She had to prepare, you know, two meals a day, weekdays, and three meals a day, weekends. Her, whatever her painting interests or whatever her activities may have been, she stopped and she had to shop and have food and she took care of a lovely house and she took care of her husband. And that absolutely governed the boundaries of her life. And I knew that I did not want that life. I knew I wanted to be very free agent and travel and 
not be beholden to anyone, not have to do anything for anyone. And it's only really been in recent years that I've thought in a big, long, long lens, looked at my mother's life, because I must have felt, I must have felt, imagined that I would chafe, and maybe felt that she was chafing. Coming up, Holland talks about her mother's death and how it opened her up to a whole new kind of relationship. I am understood by the person who loves me before I'm understood by myself. That's really sort of a stunning experience that has taken me a while to accept it. We've gotten a lot of reactions to our episode about why you're not having sex. A woman I'll call Jess wrote in with this comment. I'm a 24-year-old virgin, and last night I was rejected because I was honest with the guy. I told him I wasn't going to just have sex with him right away, and he rejected me for that. Marie's story is exactly what I needed to hear. And a man I'll call Josh left this voice memo about the lack of sex in his marriage. I personally have gone through uh, the entire gamut of being feeling really frustrated to uh, really rejected to really angry to wanting to have um, a revenge affair I guess and Lynn from Denver left this comment on our website at deathsexmoney.org I am 35 years old and until a week ago I had never had sex she wrote that it was with someone I feel totally comfortable with And she added, it really was just finally the right time, and I am glad I waited for that. Thanks to all of you for sharing your stories with us. On the next episode, a woman whose expectations for motherhood are far different from her reality of raising two sons with autism. I mean, I I certainly kind of consider myself to be the the go-to person for, if you really want to have a conversation about what having kids is like, um, you know, and maybe want somebody to talk you out of it, come to, you know, Come to Diane. She's always willing to give you the um, the lowdown. With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. So check it out. Subscribe to Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Holland Taylor's latest project is an off-Broadway show called Ripcord. It's about two older women who share a room at an assisted living facility. Holland's mother spent the last years of her life at a similar place. The first weeks of rehearsal were very difficult because I was often very teary. What was happening in your life when you... Your mom was in the assisted living home. I was doing the practice at the time, uh, and I was traveling back and forth to see her because she wasn't well in her last year, particularly. It was clear that she was going to die soon, and I went back 
just in time, and my sisters, who my sisters are elder than I am by, by six and seven years, and the three of us were with her the last two days of her life around the clock, which was a rare privilege. Really remarkable experience. And all I can say about death that I felt then and now, what I learned from it is absolutely nothing. It's like looking at, I don't know, a volcano or tidal wave, the, the sky at night. It's incomprehensible. Incomprehensible experience. Just to be with someone as they die. Astonishing. I could weep now thinking of it. And yet I couldn't really tell you about it. There's nothing to tell. A person was there. A person went away. And left themselves behind, too. It's just very strange. Very, very strange. And I got no philosophy from it at all. Just the experience of it. But losing her mother did cause Holland to think differently about her life and the people in it. I just suddenly got the sense that I was living a very shallow life and that I was not very self-aware and that I had not had wonderful relationships. I had not made them be wonderful or let them be wonderful or sought them even. I'd stayed very solo. And I thought I made a judgment about that, that that was impoverishing. At what point in your life, looking back, do you feel like you were the most changed by a relationship? I've been very... I I haven't been much altered by my relationships because I think I've never had many that were very... that cut deeply into my life in the sense that I've never lived for a long period of time with anyone. I mean, I sort of really linking my life to someone else, that has never been the way I've lived. And it's somewhat the way I'm living now. And at my age, it's quite quite interesting, and it's quite a learning curve, because I'm in that sort of relationship now. And I think that the complete reorganization of cells I went through after Anne has allowed that because then everything becomes up for grabs. We all grow and we all expand, and that's a natural process of life. But somebody once said transformation is not the same thing as growing. And if you have uh, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, to use a banal image, the caterpillar doesn't just grow wings and change in that manner. It wraps itself in the chrysalis or whatever they're called, and it turns to, you should pardon the expression, goo. Very messy, horrible, icky, disgusting, formless, shapeless, non-functioning, resting, growing, percolating goo for a while. And then eventually, this completely other creature, not a grown-up caterpillar, but a completely other creature emerges. So I think that if you really break apart so that you don't know what you want, who you are, how to function, what you don't, you, you know, you're really dis, dismantled. There is a state where you go in that is kind of goo-like, and then something else can form from it that can be quite different and quite wonderful. What a two years you've had. That's, that's yeah. incredible to it, think of it that way. It has been incredible. What are you finding that you're doing different in this relationship? 
We're just being attentive to it. I mean, thinking of it as a as a thing that requires attention and thought and care and not in inattention and not just whatever comes, not just whatever happens. No, it has a much more important place I mean, in my life. Where I'm going to be geographically, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to spend my time is determined by that, not the other way around. It's, I, I'm not going to have a relationship take short shrift. Does it feel, having lived such an independent life for so long, are there moments where it feels uncomfortable? Yes, but not negatively so. I mean, it's like, okay, okay, I have to, I have to figure this out now because I'm just so unused to this. But there's no question in my mind that it's the most wonderful, extraordinary thing that could ever have possibly happened in my life. So the fact that there are differences and things to adjust to and new and old habits to break because they're useless or even negative or just to learn to think in a new way uh, is a great privilege. Do you find yourself enticed by marriage? Well, my relationship is with a woman, and I have not, given my generation, it would not be something that would automatically occur to me. But she's mentioned it because just from a spiritual point of view, from a heart point of view, as a, as a, um, as a, as a, as a deed that has the very rich symbolic gesture to it, it has its attractions. So, but it's been a very casual conversation at this point, but it's not, it would be a very private thing. I would not do that publicly. But, uh, but as a symbol, as a pledge, as a plighting one's troth, I absolutely see it, that, that it would be a wonderful thing to do. Do you want to say her name? Well, I feel at this point in the conversation, it feels kind of awkward. It, well, and now I feel very, very shy of it. I've been really wrestling with this uh, lately because... You know, I, I, my, most of my relationships have been with women and I don't like talking about them because I don't like talking about the politics of it all because I'm not political about it. I think we're ridiculous in this country about it. Ridiculous. And so it's a, it's awkward because if I talk about relationships in my life or people that have been in my life or somebody I've been seeing for a while or this and anything, I like to just be able to say that without having to stop and say, so have you come out? And, no, I haven't come out because I am out. I live out. In the end, Holland wanted to protect the privacy of her girlfriend, but she did want to share she's with a much younger woman. There's a very big age difference between us, which I'm sure shocks a lot of people and it startles me. But, you know, as, as they say, if she dies, she dies. That's funny. <laughs> it, it is. I know. I know. She thought it was funny when I said it, too. <laughs> Actress Holland Taylor. She's on stage in New York in the show Ripcord until December 6th, and she'll be reprising her role of Ann Richards in Texas's capital city this April and May. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Destry Sibley, and Andrew Dunn. 
The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money. And you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter, or just text the word newsletter to the phone number 69866. Again, newsletter to 69866. We'll write you back with instructions on how to subscribe. So Colin Taylor says a big coming out to do isn't her style, but she says there is one scenario where she'd think about it. When Clinton holds a press conference to discuss the fact that he is, uh, lives, frankly, a heterosexual life, I'll consider it. <laughs> it's regarded as something that people who are not mainstream have to do. Declare, yeah. They must declare. Mm-hmm. And it's like, watch me if you want to see how I live. Because I live. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.